Can you give the Lord a hand again as you're seated today? You can be seated. Great to see you this morning. Do me a favor. Look at someone near you, just near you there, and just turn to them and say, I am so excited you're here today. Do that, would you? Man, I am so excited you're here today. You excite me that you're here today. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. What do people who go to football games, rock concerts, gun shows, scrapbook weekends, a couple getting married, and people who attend Comic-Con, what do they all have in common? They're all excited to be there. That's what it is. So, although I have had a couple weddings where I'm not sure. But anyway, no, they're, they're people that are passionate about something. I, I think of those guys I talk to that are hunters or collectors or, or people who love Comic-Con or people who love football, whatever it is. You tend to be excited about being there. And today what I want to do is I want to I introduce number three in the series that we've been doing. We've been talking about what's missing. Again, this is not an accusation. It's an invitation, what God wants to do in the life of a believer, in the life of the church. In our first week together, we talked about prayer, how God wants to take us beyond the outer door into the inner chamber in prayer for something that's real and vital and life-giving, rather than just simply asking God for things, but to commune with God and to give Him glory. And we looked at that passage together. Last week, we talked about the necessity for power. That, that it is not the extraordinary Christian life, it's the normal Christian life. God wants to pour himself out. He wants to do a work of transformation. We should see it in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. God wants to pour out his power. He's the God who is uh, giving us a spirit, not of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Today, I want to talk to you about passion. Having a passion for God uh, Tony Campolo, who's uh, an American sociologist and pastor, said these words a number of years ago, but that's always struck with me. He says, we are caught up at a particular stage in our national ethos in which we're not only materialistic, but worse, we're becoming emotionally dead as a people. We don't sing, we don't dance, we don't even commit sin with much enthusiasm. That we've kind of lost our enthusiasm. And I, I, I find that in the church that happens in the life of the believers, the longer we're a believer, the more we kind of lose that enthusiasm. Now, let me just share with you, passion, passion is not a painted on smile. Passion is not jumping up and down. Passion is not a raised voice. Passion, when it comes for the Lord, is not necessarily lifting your hands in worship, although that can be the expression of it because I always say this, that when a person has a genuine passion for the Lord, that person is unashamed of their relationship with the Lord. It's like a wedding relationship, right? Why would I be uh, embarrassed to introduce my wife as my wife? It's the same thing in my relationship with the Lord I should never be embarrassed about. So if that is the expression of your walk with the Lord, never be embarrassed about that. It's, it's about God being priority in our life. It's an earnest, deep pursuit for a, a relevant relationship with the Lord. And before we get into today's teaching time in 2 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 1, I want to take you over to Revelation chapter 2. And the reason for it is Paul, as he is writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, he's actually the bishop overseeing the church of Ephesus. It's a city that would be in modern-day Turkey now, but he is overseeing this church, and Paul is instructing him on how to lead that church. What strikes me is what Jesus says to that same church 
30 years later in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, through the apostle John, speaks to seven churches. And in chapter 2, he speaks to the church of Ephesus. And here's what he says to them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and women, I would assume, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not, and they've been found false. You've persevered. You have endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary. Now, so far, that sounds like a pretty good list. That if you could say, hey, that's my life, that's what my life, my church looks like, I, I, I would, I'll be honest, I would kind of look at that and say, good job. Yet, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. I've been thinking about that term a lot over the last week, two weeks, as I've been working on this message. Hadn't even struck me when I thought about this passage that it was Ephesus. It's the same church 30 years later. If you've been married, hey, just real quick, how many of you have been married 30 years? Raise your hand real quick. Hey, congratulations. Over the course of time, a relationship can go from a first love relationship, a passionate relationship. You got to be careful or it can turn into a, an endurance test, but you've kind of lost that flame. And so as he speaks to the church of Ephesus, he says, you're doing the right stuff. I mean, you're, you, you, you know what I think he's really saying to him? Here's what he's saying. He says, I know you love me. What I want to know is, are you in love with me? Because there's a difference. First love relationship is priority and passion. It means this person in my life is first in my life. It means this person in my life I'm passionate about in my life. And Jesus says, I want you to have that kind of relationship with me. I love that you know doctrine. I know that you know the word. I love that you persevere. But I want you to be in love with me. What happened? Why do we lose that passion? Why, why is it as believers that sometimes we can lose that passion? And I, it's not the heartbeat of the message, so I don't want to spend much time on it at all, but I wrote down several reasons why we can kind of lose our passion. One of them is just, just the monotonous of the everyday. Man, what would you, about uh, Charles, uh, uh, not Charles Lake, Chuck Swindoll said, the hardest thing about a relationship with Jesus is it's just so daily. It's every day, right? And that's what can get with you, the monotony of it. It's just that days don't look that much different than the other days. Or as John Wesley said, and I got to tell you, this used to be one of my favorite uh, quotes. It's now one of the most convicting quotes for me because I've moved from young to middle to now got a few years under the belt. But here's what he says. He says, it may be true that a wise young believer is very rare but it is also true that a zealous old believer is very rare. 
Never allow yourself to believe that you have done too much. He said, because for every person I can show you that has done too much, I can show you a thousand that have not done enough. It's convicting. It's the monotonous of the everyday. Sometimes we kind of lose our passion because it's the dust of the ordinary. Uh, Max Lucado said it this way, and I'll be honest, I don't remember what the book was. I remember very clearly writing it down. It's just simply that when that which is precious becomes ordinary to you, you will lose your passion. That's why, by the way, husbands in our relationship with our wives, Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, you're to cherish your wife, right? You treat her as though she's precious. Like uh, oftentimes I'll bring out a jewel and say this is how you're supposed to treat that person that's in your life because if they just become ordinary you tend to lose your passion for that person and so we've got to make sure we intentionally keep cherishing our relationship with Christ and with each other the third reason sometimes we lose our passion is just man it's just the weariness of the battle can I just ask this question because sometimes when you fight and fight and fight and fight, you just get tired. How many of you have or have had teenagers in your home? Just raise your hand. Oh, you already know what I'm talking about. Oh, I remember one time talking to Calvin. I, I felt like I'd had the same argument with him five different times in 10 different ways. I mean, it was the same basic thing in different ways. And I remember looking at him and, and just saying, Calvin, I'm so tired. You just want to give in, don't you? It's like, man, just give in anymore. And I remember looking at him and said, the easiest thing in the world would be for me to give in, but then I wouldn't be helping you become the man that I know God wants you to be. Sometimes we get tired, the battle. And then sometimes, frankly, <laughs> it's just easier. It's the allure of the easiest path, the path of least resistance. It becomes a very easy path. I'm a, I'm a hunter. I spend some time in the woods. And if you're a hunter, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever been in the woods, you've seen this. If you walk through the woods, you'll see in the middle of thicket and all kinds of stuff, you'll see a trail. And it's where animals walk, and a lot of times they're deer, but other animals use it too. Fox use it, all kinds of... And, 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 you'll, and it's really funny, with all this space that deer can walk, they will walk in the same path. You know why? Because even deer don't want to work harder than they have to. They will. I mean, they will run all over the place. They'll come from all kinds of crazy directions, but, but they do tend to follow a path, and that's what happens. Sometimes we take the path of least resistance spiritually, but that path is not normally the best path, or the easy path is not normally the right path. So what do we do about it? God says, I want you to not just love me, I want you to be in love with me. So what do we do? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor. He's overseeing a church, and here's what he says. Verse 5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in her mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives also in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jump down to verse 13. What you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He gives us four challenges in this passage, and I know he's speaking to Timothy, but I feel like he's talking to each one of us, and by virtue, I think he's talking to the church, and the very first thing he says is, fan it. Man, if you want to keep your passion for the Lord alive, if you want to keep your love for the Lord alive, if you want that first love relationship, then you've got to fan it into flame. Notice what he says in this passage. Everybody thinks he's asking him to fan into flame his spiritual gift. He didn't say that. He, the, 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 everybody thinks that we should seek spiritual gifts. What God tells us to do is to enjoy the gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit. The giftings are given by the Holy Spirit. And so you might say, well, it sounds like the flip side of the same coin, and it probably is to some degree, but what is it? Don't seek the gifts, seek the giver. Seek the one who is at the center of those. And he says, I want you to fan into flame. And you think about it, if you've ever built a fire, sometimes we, we, we have fires go out because we just haven't paid attention. And sometimes we have fires go out because we, we didn't give it enough fuel, right? We didn't give it enough fuel and sometimes we've starved of oxygen and sometimes frankly we we just we, we forgot to even be uh, 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 intentional about it and he says Timothy you've got to fan this thing it isn't going to just happen your passion for God is not going to just happen you've got to pay attention um, I, I wanted to show you a, a clip this morning that uh, I want you to envision yourself and this is you in your spiritual journey fanning your spiritual fire let's show it yeah got to it Oh, 
couldn't get much higher. Come on, baby, like hard for you. There you go. Here you go. It's a signal fire. What I want to do, yeah, that's good. I like clapping on that. I watched that thing. It came to my mind this last week, and I, I told, uh, I, actually, I told Jason, I said, maybe I should just act it out, but I thought me without a shirt on wouldn't be a good look, you know, so. <laughs> but I, I, I was thinking that thing. It was like in my spiritual walk, my spiritual walk, right? He's working real, I'm working really hard. I'm trying this, I'm trying this. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my word, it worked. It worked. Oh, wait, what do I do? What do I do? And then he kind of blows it and nurtures it and stuff. And then the excitement. Fire! <laughs> and then I love that last part. Look what I have made. Right? And he didn't care what a fool he looked like. He was so excited. There was nobody there to hear it. He didn't care. He was so excited because the celebration wasn't for everybody else. It was for him celebrating this thing. And you know what? There's a lot Man, I, I guess my brain kind of looks for this stuff in the everyday, but there are so many applications of that in my relationship, my marriage, but in my walk with Christ. Fan it, he says, fan it into flame. Be intentional, work at it. Keep on breathing life into it. Don't starve it. That's what he wants our spiritual life to look like. There's a second aspect he challenges us in. He says, okay, I want you to fan it, but I also want you to share it. Share it. Talk about it. Look what he says, that very next thing he says. He says, um, do not, got to find the passage. He says, do not, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as a prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Now, Paul does this more naturally and as well as any author in the New Testament. You can't get through one of Paul's books without him sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and frankly, usually shares his story. You go into 1 Timothy, what does he say in the very first chapter? Hey, here's a trustworthy saying, which is worthy to uh, embrace. He says that Christ died for sinners, by the way, of which I am the worst. But God did this so that through me, and he, then he tells his story. And if you read that passage a little bit further, he gets into the gospel. He talks about the fact we didn't deserve this. It was nothing that we created. This was God doing this for us and in us. And oh, by the way, he did this to destroy the power of the enemy and to have victory over death he tells the whole gospel in that in the book of Philemon he's writing a letter it's just a one chapter uh, uh, letter but he writes this letter in verse 6 he says this I pray that you will be active in the sharing of your faith so that because that way you will be reminded of every good thing you have in Christ. 
He wants you to share your story, not just for people to hear your story, but he wants you to share your story so that it will remind you of your story, of what God did in your life. And when you remind yourself of what God has done in your life, it fans your flame. It excites you. Peter says the same thing. He says, I want you to be ready in season or out of season. Always be prepared to share the hope for which you have. But then he says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. He says, I don't want you to throw gospel hand grenades into the life of people. I, I don't want you to just kind of pow, boom, boom, blow them up. He said, I want you to do this, but just remember, be gentle about it. Be respectful about it. You don't have to be in people's face all the time. He says, when you share your faith, it challenges you. And we, most of us know that when we do something that's a little scary, it does have a way of kind of invigorating and helps our faith to grow and it'll remind you of it and it'll help other people as well. We've been encouraging our leadership. Kyle did just this last week. I just happened to see you there, Kyle. We've been encouraging our leaders to share their story. And one of the reasons I want them to share their story is first of all, it helps us know the journey they've been on. But boy, when you share your story, it reminds you of your own journey. And I would encourage you, think about it. What's your one minute story? Just, and by the way, you're saying, well, what, 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 maybe my story isn't that big a deal. I mean, came to Jesus at five years old. Okay, then what's God been doing in your life? In the last week, in the last month, in the last three months, and seriously, if God hadn't been doing anything in your life, if you haven't seen anything in him in the last three months, we need to do a checkup. Because there should be something we're seeing in our life. This last week, I think at least three times I shared my story, and I didn't even realize it. In fact, one of the times I shared my story was at the Dairy Queen in Napanee, Indiana. I was eating health food uh, that day, and uh, I sat down with a few guys who attended the church that I uh, came to Christ in. It was Tammy's home church, Napanee Missionary Church, and there was one of the guys who's one of the deacons of the church, and I've known that guy for my entire Christian life since 18. I mean, he was always there, and I looked over at him, and we were chatting a little bit, and he, he mentioned a guy by the name of Larry Wagner, and I said, Larry Wagner, I got saved in his barn uh, right there on a Wednesday night, and I told the story. It just was so, now here's the thing, I've told you my story I've probably told you my story 35 or 50 times or somewhere in there. I, at least twice a year, I tell the story sitting in my room feeling so desperate. I knew I was going to hell and I didn't care. I probably have mentioned that. I've probably mentioned Jerry Reimer's name, who's the guy who shared his testimony the night that I came to Christ. I've probably shared that so many times, but you know what happens every time I share it? It reminds me I wasn't always where I am. And I remember what it was like to feel discouraged and hopeless and, and not ever have any certainty that I was going to heaven. And when you do that, it has a way of nurturing your faith. It has a way of fanning your fire. It pulls you back to first love again. Number three, use it. Use it. Put it into action. 
Notice what he says in this passage. He says, he says uh, what, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we feel like we've got to have all the answers before we start to engage anything in this whole thing of Christian faith. And what I'm reminded of is that you, you, as you learn, you implement it, right? Uh, if you're a coach coaching football, you learn a lesson and then you go do the lesson. You don't teach them every lesson and say, now go do it perfectly you teach them one thing then you move to the second thing do you know that when I was in baseball um, I never played baseball as a kid I, I wasn't it just wasn't encouraged to be in um, little league baseball but I, uh, I I tried out for baseball my seventh grade year and I made what's called the C team uh, it was the middle school going into high school and I made that team and I remember Terry Johns was my uh, teacher or my coach for for uh, two seasons as I as I played and I, I think I think I made the team I, I had a busted finger when I tried out and I think they thought man if he could he's this good with a busted finger when he gets his finger back he'll be really good you know what never improved pretty much that's as good as I ever got do you know that today I still know how to wrap and he taught us how to put on our socks. He taught us how to put on the little stirrup and then he taught us how to put the pants on. You're saying this sounds really stupid right now, pastor. And he taught us how to put them on in such a way so that the stirrup would go into the kneecap so that it would interweave so your stirrup wouldn't slide down I know today they wear them all different ways, but then I'll tell you what, that's still the way that I would do that today. But what's funny is he taught us that first and we learned how to do it. And then he taught us how to do this and then we did it. Then he taught us how to slide and we did it. And he taught, and you know what? That's the Christian faith. I remember a guy by the name of Lynn. Lynn came to know the Lord, his girlfriend. He had been living with, with her. And, and uh, when they came to Christ, they decided to separate and so they lived in two different houses and I began to disciple Lynn. And what's interesting is that about four or five weeks after I uh, started to walk Lynn through faith, I found out that he was taking the lesson immediately going back to her and then he would do the lesson with her so she could learn too. And he would only go as far as he knew. And then he said, I don't know the rest of this. I'll have to get the answer next week. And he'd come back and he'd get more. And then he'd go back and he'd teach more. And you know what's interesting? Use what you have. Put it into action. Paul says it this way. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, Philippians chapter 3, or that I've already been made perfect. Hey, can I just ask, are any of you perfect today? Raise your hand. If you are, put your hand back down. Your wife's sitting next to you saying, no, you're not. <laughs> not that I have already obtained this or that I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took for me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what's ahead. Notice what he says down in verse 16. He says, all of you who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Let me say that again. Let us live up to what we already have obtained. Let's say it this way. Live up to what you already have. Say that with me, would you? Live up to what you already have. 
God isn't asking you what you're going to do with what you're going to get. God wants to know what you're going to do with what you already got. And that does begin to bring in such things as spiritual gifts. In chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, he says, don't neglect your gift. In our core class, we always try to teach people how to find their shape. Your spiritual gift, your heart passion, your abilities, your personality, and your life experience formulates your ministry. And God has given every one of you that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Scripture says that you now have the deposit, which is the Spirit of God, in your life. He's the gift. But He gives you gifts according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. God gives you a gift that in order to use that gift, you have to invest it into the body of Christ for the betterment or the edification of the body. Spiritual gifts aren't for you. Spiritual gifts are actually for the body of Christ. And so isn't it just like the Lord to give you a gift that the only way you can enjoy and get the benefits of that gift is to give it away? Use it. Fan your passion, fan your faith, fan your relationship. Share your relationship. Use it. Put it into action. Number four, guard it. Got to guard it. He said, guard. Well, I'm going to give you two verses, verse 12 and 14. They really go together. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, what did he deposit in you? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing our salvation. But God has given you your story. God has given you his presence through the Holy Spirit. God has given you the gospel. God has given you your faith that he says now, and he says now, I'll guard it. Solomon in, in the book of Proverbs, if anybody knew this, he should have known it. He says, and above all, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Now we could do a whole message on how to guard your heart, how to guard your faith. Uh, Paul does that a lot actually in 1 Timothy. He says, be really careful who you surround yourself with. Be really careful who you allow to speak into your life. There's a lot of different ways you can guard your faith and we may even get into that next week. But in the next moment, I would like to draw attention to something. And if you could do me a favor, I would like for you to not think about anybody else right now. 
I don't want you to think about the church. I don't want you to think about your spouse. I don't want you to think about your family. I just want you to think about you and your relationship with the Lord. And I wonder if any of these words resonate. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not, they're false. You've persevered, you've endured hardship, you've not grown weary. And yet I have one question for you. I'm not asking you if you love me. I'm asking you, are you in love with me? Lord, that is such a penetrating question. I would dare say it penetrated the believers of the early church. And it penetrates me as a a believer now walking with the Lord since 1986. 36 plus years. Phil, I know you're a pastor and I know that you try to live rightly and I know that you try to walk in a a pattern above reproach and I know that you teach truth and I know you read the Bible and I know you pray and I I know that you teach others I know that you have taken strong stances on some things that are dishonoring to me I I, I know all that I um, just want to know do you do you love me am I your first love I mean, we handed out puzzle pieces as people were coming in just simply for you to reflect and say, if there's something missing, what's missing? Is it prayer that takes me beyond the outer chamber into his presence? Is it, is it I'm, Lord, I'm not seeing any power in my life to overcome or even in the lives of others. Lord, I, Lord, I, I, I love you, I'm, I'm struggling to answer whether I'm in love with you. And your words to that early church are the same words that you give to us today. Remember, remember where you used to be. Repent means, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going the wrong direction. I wanna, I wanna walk toward that passionate relationship with you. And then you said, do the things you did at first. That means rekindle it. That means start doing that stuff again. 
and it might mean I'm going to look a little goofy and it might mean I'm going to tell my story more than I thought I needed to tell my story and it might mean that I'm going to talk about you a little bit more it might mean I'm going to seek your face more it might mean that I'm going to quit being worried what everybody else thinks about when I'm worshiping or when I'm doing my daily walk because Lord I really I want you to know that I want to walk not just in love but I want to be in love with you So restore the fire and then help me to fan that fire. I want to draw near to you again. And I want people to see my life and know that's somebody who's in love with Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.